Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. So week seven, complete chaos in college football. So you start to look at the drawing board, where college game day should go for week eight, and there's really no debate. It's been a long time. 15-year anniversary is this Saturday for that beautiful flag, Old Crimson, that's been traveling around college game day. So there's only one place for college game day to go. Oregon at Washington State. We will see you in Pullman. Oh my God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's the Everybody procedure, everyone? What's the procedure? Stay calm! Wait, 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 wait. Everybody calm down! Michael Preston. I must be the first to admit, as excited as I am for game day, as thrilled as I am for game day, as thrilled as we all are for game day, and as exciting and as wonderful a scene as will probably unfold in Pullman this Saturday, I truly did not think it would happen. I truly did not. Uh, because whether we have been close so many times before or whether that has just been speculation on our part or the time in 2015 where they were so close to coming and they went to Philadelphia instead, we had a lot of reasons to believe it would never happen. But it finally has happened. And a pretty darn important game. And I don't know if it's just me. I keep forgetting there's an important, there's actually a pretty important football game coming up this weekend that could decide a lot of things at the Pac-12 North. We will get to that uh, in a little bit. We have a lot of people to get to first today, though. Chris Felica of College Game Day is going to be on the show after our introduction here. Vince Grippy from the Spokesman Review will also be joining us for a little added perspective on what it means for game day to being Pullman. And then Heithloday from Addicted to Quack. We're not using his real name. That's a pseudonym <laughs> from Addicted to Quack. Going to join us to talk about the Oregon Ducks because we need to do that because that's who Washington State is playing. But college game day is finally coming. And I, I admit, I was in Las Vegas on Saturday when we saw the announcement. And I could... I couldn't believe it at first. I, I, I really and truly could not believe that after all these years of the flag and all these years of trying desperately and wondering if they would ever be here and then really just the last few years of it being a real opportunity for game day to come, I, I, I really can't believe it is now here. I can't believe that... Reese Davis and Kirk Herbstreet and Lee Corso and Desmond Howard and Chris Felica and Lee Fitting and everyone will be in Pullman, Washington this Saturday when the Oregon Ducks take on Washington State. And it's a pretty big and darn important game for them to be in town for as well. You just imagine, you know, you, you didn't want it, as Vince will say here in a little bit, you didn't want this to be out of pity. You didn't want this done because at some point it just, it felt like it needed to be done. You wanted this done because Washington State is playing in one of the most important college football games on the slate this weekend. Clemson and North Carolina State, yeah, two undefeateds in the ACC, but game day's been to Clemson before. Oregon's number 12 in the country coming off an upset of number 7 Washington. And they have a chance to control their own destiny for the Pac-12 North, pretty much. That loss to Stanford's really hurting them. Washington State has a chance to control their own destiny for the Pac-12 North. This is a big, important game when it comes to who will play in the conference championship game. I did not see that coming at the beginning of the year, I'll tell you that much. I did not think when I was saying this is a four-win team that college game day would be here at any point this year. But I think the biggest and most important thing for me this weekend is what this means to the town, to the school. Because as I've described to many people who didn't go to Washington State, don't know Pullman, they ask, what, what is the appeal? 
Why why is it so appealing to go to Washington State University? Why does everybody speak so fondly of their time? They can't understand it. And I get that. It's hard for people to understand because Pullman is unique in many ways. Corvallis is what you would consider the next smallest college town in the Pac-12. And even then, Corvallis is still, what, an hour-ish away from Portland? And it's still a pretty sizable city. Pullman is really and truly completely isolated. Even Corvallis has I-5 not too far away that can get you up to Portland in no time flat. And it is because of its isolation that Pullman is made unique. You are bonded to that university. You are bonded to the people you went there with and its teams unlike any other place in the country. And I don't mean that to say that, you know, our fan base is better or we're more enthusiastic, whatever, because that's an objective case anybody can make about anything. I just mean that it's unique. And I argue that it is in one of the most beautiful settings one can imagine a a university being placed. The Palouse, when I when we drove over for the Utah game, it looked exceptionally beautiful that day unlike I had seen it in a while just that early fall late sun in the afternoon and Saturday looks like a pristine day in Pullman sunny and 65 it's gonna be a lot colder than that when game day starts but it, it is what makes Pullman and Washington State University so unique. I think that's what I'm most excited to see featured on game day. It is it is three hours of appreciation for a place that we already know what it means to us. And now everybody else gets to see what it means to us. What a wonderful place it is and how much it means to each and every one of us. And I have been overly cynical about game day over the years. I admit that. But I slowly started to realize that over the weekend and in the last couple of days. That that is what this means to me. That it, it, it features a place that is so, so important to me. For so many reasons. And we all have different reasons why Pullman, Washington is so important to us. But we get to see some of those reasons on college football's premier show for three hours this Saturday. And that is pretty darn neato. That's pretty cool. There was other news this week. This has been an extraordinarily busy week from Washington State University news. Uh, A man who has called... So many football games for over half a century for Washington State. Who's been involved in so many broadcasts and is the reason why so many people care about Washington State football. Bob Robertson has retired. And I I, I certainly didn't expect it to happen the week of such a big important game or the week that game day would be coming to town. But but this and and I I feel bad because in a way Bob's retirement is overshadowed a bit by something so big and important happening to this university and to the town because Bob certainly deserves more I I you know he's getting plenty of recognition I think this week but I I think I would have preferred a bit more focused celebration, if that makes any sense. A celebration of a man who who put up, you know, when you talk about putting up with bad seasons, it's Dave Niehaus and Bob Robertson. And we've been very blessed in this state to have so many iconic voices for teams that are so important to us. I'll even throw in Bob Rondo at the University of Washington. I always enjoyed listening to Bob just for his skill in calling a football game. He was exceptional at what he did. But Bob Robertson was there for so many of those bad Washington State teams. The way Dave Niehaus was there for so many of those bad Seattle Mariner teams. 
But because of their love and affection for where they were, they chose to stay. Bob Robertson chose to be Washington State University's guy for so very long. And that is truly something we should be honored by. He is an incredible person, and he is incredible at his job. And while it is true that the game has gotten fast, I, I want to look, trying to look up the statement he released, but it, 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 yeah, some of it hit me because what he said was, it's a matter of getting old is what it is. Everything seems to move a lot faster around me. I move more slowly. And that's true. The game got very, very fast for Bob Robertson for more reasons than one. He, you know, obviously as you age, things get slower, but offenses got faster. But Bob is a guy who deserves the reverence he receives from Washington State University fans, alums, donors, everyone. And as someone who, at one point, had that dream to do what he did for so long. He was a person that I very personally looked up to. To call Washington State Athletics for 52 years. He started calling games in 1964 in Pullman. 550, 589 Cougar games. That is incredible. I, I I can't I can't even begin to fathom what just just the experiences he got to have. And again, his his was a job I wanted. And for not to get too personal and introspective for many reasons. Beyond my control, I wasn't able to have. And he was a man I always looked up to. So his retirement was very personal for me. And he is a man who I look up to because of his love, his adoration for his work. And because what he did, I wanted to do. And it is something so amazing and touching for everyone who went to this university that, again, I, I, I wish it wasn't in a week where so much was already going on. But alas, it is. And so we will try our best to honor him as we go forward with these shows for the rest of the year. We will miss him very dearly. And although I haven't had as many chances to listen to the radio broadcast over the past few years as I might have liked, there's just something about knowing that he's not there anymore. And that stinks. I know all good things have to come to an end, but somehow it just didn't seem like this would. Let's focus on happier things. Very happy. Th- Not that Bob's career wasn't a very happy thing, and he's still here very much with us. Uh, but we're thrilled for him to have his retirement. I am. I am thrilled that he will. He will be able to watch Washington State football now and be able to enjoy it. This is a big football game coming up this weekend. And again, you know, talk game day, talk about Bob's retirement. And like I said, it is so easy to forget that there's not a really huge football game at Martin Stadium this week. Number 12, Oregon. Number 25, Washington State. And this is a game that the betting line has gone back and forth and back and forth in this one. And it's been interesting to see that. I think Washington State minus three as I record this, but I could change again from that. Uh, very soon. So, I'm 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 interested to see how this one plays out because we have we have a we have a team in Oregon who is obviously much better than they've been in the past couple even few years, 
And you have a team in Washington State who is better than I think many of us were expecting them to be. You have a an Oregon offense that is relying on running the football and a Washington State defense that has had trouble in the past stopping a good rushing attack. And on the other side, you have a pretty potent Washington State offense, more potent than they were last year and even the year before. What can they do to attack that Oregon defense run by Jim Levitt? This is a very interesting matchup, and I truly do not know how it is going to go. Because it seems like, at least to me, the strengths and weaknesses are they kind of complement each other, if that makes sense. Oregon's going to try to do what Utah did, take possessions away. Long, grinding possessions to not allow Washington State to have the football as many times. And Washington State's going to try to do what they've done with Gardner Mitchell on every drive, and that is shove it down your throat through the air and score points, son. This is an interesting football game. It is going to be a loud football game. And it is going to be a long day on the Washington State University campus. My alarm is going off at 4.45 in the morning on Saturday. That may not be early enough, but I am old. And that is as as early as I can do it. Because in all likelihood, most of us will not be sleeping at all. Power napping will be a very popular feature in Poland on Saturday. A nice little two-hour nap. Gets you up at about noon. Perfect time to crack a beer and start the tailgate. Truly a week unlike any other we have had, arguably in the history of Washington State Athletics, just with the amount of stuff happening. And it is pretty, pretty cool. Chris Felica from College Game Day going to join us next. Packed, packed show this week. We'll have him on the other side of the break. Here on the Coog Center Hour, it is now our distinct honor to be joined by a member of the College Game Day crew before they roll into town here this weekend, Mr. Chris Felica. You may know him better as Bear on the show. And Chris, uh, this is, I, I, I think you can sense this is a big event for everybody at Washington State. I think you guys have seen the outpouring of love and everything you've been getting so far this week, so... From your perspective, at least, how exciting is it to finally be crossing Pullman off the list? It's very exciting. This is something, the dedication of Washington State fans and alumni for for 15 years, starting back with uh, Tom Pounds and Austin there uh, for that Kansas uh, State-Texas game. Uh, The dedication, I mean, there have been a couple of times where it's been close. Uh, We tried to, we looked into maybe the 100th straight show or 150th straight show, but it it didn't necessarily pan out. Uh, The Stanford game a couple of years ago, we were close, but uh, I I forget exactly what happened, but that didn't work out. But uh, everyone always asks me, well, what my favorite place is on, on the uh, to, to go, and, and it's kind of a stock answer, but but I always say anywhere we go for the first time mm-hmm. is always memorable and great, and that, that's why uh, it's even amplified this week because it is Washington State. It's a team that showed so much passion, and a fan base that had been been so dedicated to to making a name for themselves. So we, we're really every everyone on the show I know is really excited about this weekend. I think uh, you mentioned Tom Pound starting this in 2003 in Austin, and I know you know for years and years it continued after that and then through some 
pretty horrifically bad Washington State football yeah. teams. This continued. Was there was there kind of a moment where you kind of said, "Wow, they're going to keep doing this each and every week." Like, was there kind of like an aha moment where it happened, or was it just something that you guys just kind of came to expect? I know there was even the commercial with Kirk Herbstreit and uh, Chris Fowler. I think a little while a number of years ago, where he brought out the Chachi flag and put it on the desk because uh, you know, quote unquote, we couldn't make it. I, I, I think yeah, you hit on it. You, yeah. You're looking at uh, well, once Mike Price left, I mean, there were some year three and nines, four and eights, and there they are every week. Uh, I remember one week specifically. Uh, I think we had to send the flag mm-hmm. that the initial, the original flag that's now in our ESPN uh, cafeteria when you walk in, and we have the game day display, and that flag is there. And like we had to send that flag to site one week to keep the the, the street going because something happened with either transit or weather at the flag. I think yeah, it, it got lost in Mississippi. I think yeah. You know better than me, but yeah. once that happened, and they were, it was adamant that that flag had to get there. Like, like, all right, this needs to happen at some point. Hopefully they can get this thing turned around. And, and like I said, I think that Stanford game a couple of years ago, I forget what, what, what the scenario was, but either someone lost the week before or some unexpected result happened and it kind of altered our course. But uh, uh, it, it's great to finally be out there. And now there are only 11 Power Five teams that have never hosted game day. I saw that. I, I didn't even know Cal hadn't either. That was I, I didn't didn't even occur to me that you guys hadn't been to Cal yet. But uh, that'll be a fun one. I know I love Berkeley, and that'll be a fun one to cross off your list as well. Uh, at some point, was was it important for this game day pick to come to Pullman to not? You know, I don't want to say you know like a, a mercy, but it, like you know, just at some point it was done just to do it because uh, you know we'll talk about this in a minute as well, and I want to ask you some questions about the actual game too, but. This is a pretty darn important football game when it comes to standings in the Pac-12 North, and you have two ranked teams in this game, and one coming off a pretty big win in Eugene as well. No, you, you're right. You you hit the hell on the head. It's not, it's not a ah. There's nowhere else to go. Let's let's finally just go to Pullman, a piece of uh, the flag. This is a game that ultimately could wind up deciding the Pac-12 North. I mean, I mean, was it two, two points from being undefeated? Oregon is a team that really should be undefeated as well with how they uh, blew that Stanford game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, 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 it's a big deal. I mean, we're going to be talking throughout the show about uh, best one-loss team in college football, playoff permutations. and uh, I mean, I think there is an argument that you could make. I mean, while I'm sure LSU fans or Georgia fans or Michigan fans might, might disagree, <laughs> I mean, you could make a very good case that Oregon is the best one-loss team uh, in the country right now, mm-hmm. we, you look at the need, they're certainly closer to being undefeated than any of those one-loss teams. It, it, just the, 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 the fumble and then losing in overtime. So so, so you're right. It's not just, ah, there aren't any right matchups, because there are. There are four ranked versus ranked uh, matchups on Saturday and, and ten ranked teams on the road. Yeah. So it's not like we're, we're just saying, ah, well, well, we'll get it over and done with it. This is certainly... Uh, I mean, I guess some people could argue Clemson, NC State, with, with Clemson being a top three team and a realistic national title contender. But I, I don't think there's any belief that that's going to be a competitive game. Not only is this two ranked teams, this is believed to be a competitive, uh, competitive right. game. If you look at the biggest spread as well. You are the betting guy, the handicapping guy. I know. I think you went to what, the national handicapping championships at one point in Las Vegas, right? So this is this is this is kind of your. Your big thing, and I this line movement has been insane to me. I think it started out as WSU minus two, quickly dropped to Oregon minus one or two in some spots, and now we're back to Washington State minus two and three in some spots. If if you're not familiar with betting, anybody any any of our listeners, what do you make of that? Because my inclination would be a lot of big money came in on Oregon quick. And then some bigger money has come in on Washington State uh, as we've gone throughout the week here. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I, I think anytime you see a game move across uh, the, the number, uh, that is dramatic money. And I think once it moved across to to, the, to one side, I think what you saw was that to get too like gambling Vegas deep on you. You saw a buyback, and, yeah. and you saw a lot of people potentially. Uh, Gambling t- gamblers looking to potentially middle the game where you could get you, you could get a 
Washington State plus the two, and then it flips back, it flips back across the number, and you get Oregon plus the two. So basically, if you're if, if the game lands on on one or two, you're winning both ways. Mm-hmm. But, but I also think it, it indicates just uh, a perception of how close uh, these two teams are viewed. Uh, the fact that Oregon had a close emotional comeback win over their biggest rival last week in Washington in, in a game that. Just like uh, Stanford, they easily could have uh, lost the Stanford, uh, won the Stanford game. They very easily could have lost last week. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you have Washington State, who uh, very easily could have won the USC game off last week. So a week to just prepare and and look and digest that Oregon tape and that film. So I, I think a it's not only just a, a, a middling aspect for for gamblers. I think there is a genuine lack of really having a great feel as to who's going to win this game. Yeah, and I, I want to mention one other thing betting-wise is WSU's season win total, they're, they're damn near at it. I mean, we were talking about five and a half in a lot of spots for them this year. They are at five right now, so whether they beat Oregon this week or not, they still have five more opportunities to hit the over on that. This has to be a pretty surprising performance for everybody uh, in the gambling world then that halfway through the season, Washington State is a half a game away from their project, you know, from their season win total that uh, a lot of sports books had. Yeah, it, it is. And I think I was a little bit guilty of, maybe I should say guilty, but I wasn't necessarily sure uh, what way this was going to go for Washington State because uh, I maybe overestimated. Uh, I thought the loss of Alex Grinch was going to be a big factor defensively for mm-hmm. them because yeah, their their defensive unit the last couple of years is really what's taken them from six or seven or eight wins to to nine or ten and contending yeah. for uh, the the Pac-12 North titles. And I, I thought his departure might really be a problem. But Tracy Clays has come in and done a great job. And and their defense, and while they've given up some points to, in in garbage time to to, to Oregon State and, and SC put thirty nine on them, for the most part, their defense has played pretty well this year, and uh, they certainly have a tough task at hand on, on Saturday because Herbert's the real deal, and um, hopefully the uh, for, for Kook fans, the, the extra week will give that defense time to, to figure out some of the things that he does best in trying to get them. Yeah. You've been doing this uh, show, I, I think, uh, for 22 years now, at least over two decades, right? And I, 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 I would... Love to have gone around to as many college campuses as, as you have. What what makes it, what is like the coolest part of that job of getting to go around and see all these college campuses? Is it just seeing the passion people have for their teams or, or is there something else I'm not thinking of that kind of makes what you do such a fun thing? It, 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 it's all of that. It, it's getting to, to different campuses, talking to different people, seeing different people, seeing different states, seeing different schools, uh, getting to a college football game each week. It, it, it's just an, ex, an, ex, an experience for yeah. not only the people who come out to the show and watch the show, it's an experience for us because we're learn. I think the success of the show is because every week it's something different. There are different issues uh, in the sport. There are different games. Mm-hmm. There are different players. There are different coaches. There are different sites. It's a different experience for us every week as well. So, so it, the, the show never seems stale because it's live television and, and it, there's so many different things going on from week to week that uh, we're, we're never going to go through with the, uh, the same run or the same show twice. And, and that's certainly a, a, a great thing. And finally... Um, we're able to, to to knock another one off the list and get in a uh, another uh, different experience, different site, different viewpoint, different school. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. I want to leave you with this question. I don't know if you knew this. Everybody does know your nickname is Bear. Did you know that Washington State University actually has a Bear Research Facility where the Bears are out in their in this massive pen that they have for them? Did you know that we have some Bears? I, I was unaware of that, but that, sound, that sounds like someplace that I might have to go. Yeah, that's so. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, out there. I like, I like that. <laughs> you can go see some of your brethren a little bit. Perfect. Chris Felica from ESPN's College Game Day. Thank you for joining us, sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Have a great weekend.
back here on the Coog Center Hour. We are now joined by the Dean of Cougar Coverage, Cougar Athletics Coverage, Mr. Vince Grippy of the Spokesman Review and the Athletic. Uh, Vince, this is, uh, we just got done talking about this a little bit, but this is, I mean, just to put it in perspective, you've been covering this team for so long. This is probably the biggest weekend uh, exposure-wise for Washington State University, just as a whole, but for certainly for the football team in ever, perhaps, right? Well, yeah, and before I get to that, when you called me the Dean, I first thought of Dean Wormer. <laughs> no, no, nobody's on double secret probation here, and uh, no, 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 no. No, well, it's, zero. it's perfect because Oregon's coming to town. That is true. Yes, and Mr. Blutarski with a zero point zero. No, I don't. Uh, I don't. No, I don't. Certainly don't think of you as uh, someone who's trying to convince uh, Mayor Carmine. Was it Mayor Carmine? Some. I don't. Anyway, yeah. Yes. Well, enough Animal House references. Uh, yes. So I do believe the crowd on Saturday morning will probably be Animal House crazy. Yes, uh, I agree with uh, that. It'll be very loud. Uh, and uh, never get quieter, that's for sure. Um, it is a big deal, Michael, in that sense. I, it's actually kind of nice that that ESPN waited and waited and waited, I kind of think, uh, until Washington State became relevant enough in college football mm-hmm. to make it worthwhile. I mean, it's not a mercy uh, visit. It's right. a visit because you have a 5-1 and one Washington State team and a 5-1 and one Oregon team, and the winner has the inside track to the Pac-12 North Championship. Right. Um, and keeps alive, and I know this sounds weird, but after reading John Wilner's piece this morning, it actually kind of, it keeps alive any kind of chance or hope the Pac-12 has of playing in the uh, the playoffs. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, it's got to have to be a one-loss team, and there's only three of them left in the Pac-12, and, and you know, uh, one of them's going to be eliminated this weekend, probably both the two of them, because I don't think Colorado's going to figure out a way to win at UW, but... Yeah. Uh, Whoever comes out of this game as a winner is is holding the banner for at least another week for the Pac-12 for nationally. Right. I I, I think Vince, for me, this this kind of it, you like you said, it's, it's the culmination of everything, and most importantly, it wasn't done out of mercy. There were times before that they maybe could have done it, and I think certainly you had a case for them to go to Clemson, North Carolina State this week. Especially they're both undefeated. They're both in the top twenty-five, but I I think. They had kind of finally a little bit, to a certain extent, run out of excuses where you have two top 25 teams. Oregon had just eliminated Washington from the college football playoff again. Oregon is becoming relevant and a name again. And this this was kind of really the opportunity to get out to Pullman um, because you don't, you know, you don't know if WSU is going to be there next year. And, and you think this is really going to be your chance uh, to get this done and to, to kind of finally make it... Make, Make this the most raucous weekend in Pullman, perhaps ever. Yeah, and, and it's true. They could have gone other places. Uh, there was the time a few years back, about three years ago, when they decided to go to another place when Stanford was coming to town. And, mm-hmm. and at, talking to Lee Fitting, the ESPN guy, this morning, he was basically, I mean, he was really honest. It really, it was, they were leaning to go towards Notre Dame Temple from the very beginning, and Washington State was a backup plan. Um they wanted to get on the steps of Independence Hall. And if they couldn't, they were coming to Pullman. And yeah. it turned out they could, so they went there. This is no backup plan this week. I mean, they could go to Clemson, North Carolina State anytime they wanted. I mean, that, yeah. I mean that's that's a given. That they're, They would open arms where they want to be. They would be there. They decided this is the week they had to come here. And it's, it's a good time. And yeah. when you think about it, and, and one of the things I'm looking at is – you know, this is something the fans have wanted for a long time, and it probably started, the, the chance to get there started in Key West, uh, Florida, uh, some seven years ago, mm-hmm. when Will Bill Moose skipped the Utah game and flew down to Florida to talk to Mike Leach. Is it, is it there? I, I want to touch on that a little bit, because I know, obviously, this is something that Bill Moose wanted for a very, very long time uh, when he was at Washington State, and he was the athletic director for, you know, over seven years is, is there's, you know, irony is not the word to use here, but he finally, after, you know, last October decides to leave, and I, you know, dang near a year to the day after he departs for Nebraska game day decides to come here. And largely we probably have, like you said, Bill Moose to thank for college game day coming here, despite the fact that he won't be here to enjoy it. 
Yeah, he wishes he could for a lot of reasons. And one yes. of which is he's an alum. I mean, like yeah. you, it's important to him. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a chance for the university that he loved and, and served in a lot of different ways over the years to be shown to the, the to everyone else in the nation and to put its best foot forward. Um, so in that way, yes. But he also has, I, I know for a fact that he has some pride in the fact that it wouldn't be here probably today if he had to pick the right football coach. And, and no matter what you think of Bill Moose, he picked the right football coach. Yeah. I want to touch on uh, something else because, I mean, this has, been, this has been a really busy week uh, for Washington State news. But the retirement of uh, Bob Robertson this week, uh, Vince, you know, a, a lot of colleges have you know, play-by-play announcers um, who have make an impact on so many people. But Bob Robb had called games for over half a century in Pullman. I, it's, it's kind of hard to describe his impact on this university and the alums, isn't it? Because, I mean, I mean, truly, he he was the voice uh, for many people that got them interested in Washington State football and kept them interested in Washington State football for so long. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny in that regard as, as Bob... Uh, has aged the the importance of what he did has uh, receded a little bit over the years tv has taken such a huge role in college football yeah something that 30 years ago it didn't have uh, you know 40 30 even 20 years ago if you were a washington state fan especially anywhere in eastern washington there's going to be at least half the games that you weren't going to be able to see you were going to listen to bob announce them instead uh, but with the with the changes in, in uh, technology today, I mean, I was back in Virginia last week, and uh, I was able to watch the Oregon State game, even though the Pac-12 network is nowhere to be found in any uh, bar or you know restaurant, any of that kind of stuff. I was still able to watch it in my hotel room. I just had to use my computer, and yeah. it was it was a great it was a great view. But Bob, going going back to Bob. He introduced so many people to Washington State, not just Washington State football or basketball, but to yeah. Washington State. And that, and that's – you need someone like that um, mm-hmm. to to open the door for, for kids especially to think, oh, that's a neat place. I wouldn't mind going there. Um, yeah. uh, it, it's important. It, it, a lot of times kids, you never know when you're going to make your decision. I know I was thinking where I wanted to go when I was in. Before I got to high school, I wanted to go to UCLA, and mainly because I listened and watched UCLA basketball. Yeah, you know, and and I think there's a lot of kids over, especially on the west side, that that Bob Robb was a fir- their first connection with Washington State sports. How I mean, because it's just it's so rare to have somebody in a place for so long, especially somewhere so remote as Pullman, and it helped that. Bob fell in love with Washington State as much as we fell in love with him, and still do love him. Um, that much, but uh, can you speak to how rare it is? I mean, because you having one person do it for so long, and I think we've been oddly lucky just in the entire state. You know, you had Bob Rondo at the University of Washington for a long time, and I thought he was excellent at his job. You had Dave Niehaus with the Mariners. Um, we we've been very blessed in this state to have that, but Bob just he stood the test of time for so so long, and so many bad teams. He was there year after year. Uh, to call football games, and he got rewarded with a couple of Rose Bowls, but the the longevity is so rare, even even in this day and age, uh, to have someone there for so long, especially with so many bad football teams over the years. Well, and the longevity in a place that I mean, you know, Washington State isn't the uh, isn't the pinnacle of college athletics. No, I, mean, uh, I hope I hope that isn't a, a news to people listening to this, but. <laughs> no. but uh, I mean, there's a lot of places where you try to get to. If you're if you're a, a, a play-by-play voice and you want to do football, I mean, uh, if you go to if you can get to Alabama or USC or one of these places that is so high-profile, I'm sure you try to do that. Mm-hmm. Bob was comfortable working at Washington State, and Washington State was comfortable having Bob as their as their voice of their broadcasts, and that was important. Uh, even as 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 the years went by. And it, it was harder and harder for Bob to uh, do his job every week. I mean, physically, it's been tough for Bob the last few years. Yeah. I don't think people realize how, how hard it is sometimes to get around at a college football stadium. Uh, the older you get, the harder it gets. And, and he still did it because he loved it. And yeah. Washington State's alums, Washington State's boosters, Washington State's administration, they love Bob. 
and that that's why he still had a job even if it was really tough for him to do the main play-by-play and they replaced him and, and brought in other people to do that he still had that gravitas that you rarely get in college football these days yeah I want to circle back around uh, here. The last question, Vince, to game day. Uh, I, I think the impacts of this, you know, are kind of hard to quantify in terms of, you know, solid numbers and anything like that. But beyond, you know, them coming to Pullman for the first time and beyond the crowd and beyond what kind of atmosphere we're probably expecting uh, in Pullman on Saturday, what can this do for the university? Because I think just exposure wise, you're you know, it's, it's basically a three hour, you know, they're going to cover other stuff on game day. Like they should, and they should talk about other games, but it's basically a three hour commercial for Washington state university and Washington state football, isn't it? Yeah. And it's different than say going to, to Ann Arbor or to um, Austin or to, you know, even Madison or yeah. these other places, because people are aware of those places pretty intimately over the years. Uh, they've been on TV a lot. They've been, you know, uh, feature a lot. Um, at, at Pullman, I mean, it, when when TV comes to Pullman, it's usually just an in and out with the game, right? Yeah. And, and they show you the they show you the Palouse and they they show the sunsets and all that kind of stuff. But it's a city that's built around a university in the middle of uh, nowhere in a lot of ways. Yeah, and and that's rare. It, 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 there's only a few of those in this country and it'll be really nice to let people in say, I don't, I don't know, let's say Gainesville or, um, or in Boston know that this place here is here. This is what, this is what it has to offer. And it's, it's, as you know, having been there and lived there for, you know, your college years and, and I, I lived there for five years. It's a little bit different than any place else you've yeah. probably ever been. Yep. And it's, uh, and I, I'm not saying different, bad, I'd say different, good. Yep. And that's uh, that's uh, what it finally gets to show the the, the nation the, this Saturday. Vince Grippy, the Spokesman Review and The Athletic, thank you as usual for joining us, big guy. Anytime, Michael. Back here on the Coog Center Hour, and uh, there is actually a football game in Pullman this weekend. I know I've said, I keep forgetting that there is actually a football game, and it's a pretty big, important football game like we just talked about with Vince Grippy of The Athletic and The Spokesman Review. So to get to know the Oregon Ducks, uh, we need to talk to somebody who knows them really well. Hi, Flo Day from AddictedToQuack.com. He's, he's, he's a mystery. He's an international Eugene man of mystery, and that's why we have him on the show here. 5-1, uh, and one, Oregon on the season, with a win over the Washington Huskies, now in the top 15. Uh, how are we feeling about the Oregon Ducks so far this year? Well, you know, it's been a trip. Uh, there's a pretty radical offensive transformation uh, mm-hmm. undergone, uh, and watching the defense has been fascinating because every team they've played has done something crazy. Uh, three of the teams have played a different quarterback than they did in the previous uh, games, and yeah. uh, just the offensive systems are so crazily different that uh, it's been a treat to do film study, I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could, I could see how that would be. Uh, the one sole blemish on the year was that Stanford game, which I will get to in a little bit, but I want to talk a little bit more about that game against Washington last Saturday. And I, you know, a back and forth game a lot that Oregon ended up triumphing in the first overtime period. What was kind of the general mood of everyone after that game? I know obviously rushed to field after a pretty substantial win over the Huskies, but just kind of give me days on here, the general mood of uh, Oregon fans after that. Because I've I've been relishing I've been relishing it, and I don't know about them. 
uh, I don't, I don't know what you want me to say. They no. were excited to have beaten a rival yeah. that had trounced the Ducks for uh, two straight years. Yeah. Uh, frankly, you know, obviously that that game probably could have gone either way. Um, I think that even had Oregon lost that game, you know, on a last second field goal or you know overtime didn't work out or whatever, mm-hmm. then I think Oregon fans would still be pretty uh, happy about the direct. You know, they wouldn't be happy right. about losing a rival. But, you know, considering that there's all sorts of models that were calling for Washington to win that game um, by pretty large margin, you know, it, even just playing them close would, I think, be a good indication of the progress of the team. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, you know, how fundamental the transformation has been has sort of creeped out a lot of Oregon fans. And so, you know, to see it working uh, so effectively, um, I think is really encouraging. Justin Herbert uh, is going to play against Washington. He's going to start against the Cougs for the first time. We did not get to see him last year in Eugene. I believe he was hurt in the year prior to that uh, in Pullman. He did come in for some mop-up duty at the end of that game. Uh, what makes him so special? Because I, I, I know, you know, looking at his passing statistics, he clearly does a good job controlling the ball. Just five interceptions on 168 passing attempts uh, so far this year. He's at least a little bit of a threat. Uh, to run the football as well, but what what makes him so good uh, as a quarterback in this offense? Well, first and foremost, he has all the physical tools that you want out of quarterback. I mean, mm-hmm. he's tall, he's got a great arm, compact throwing motion, his footwork is usually pretty good. Uh, I would say uh, on the flaws side is that he's got similar flaws to most quarterbacks who have a really, really strong arm, which is he tends to trust a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually been encouraging. I've now done film study of uh, uh, 19 straight Oregon games, um, of which Herbert has only played uh, about three quarters. Uh, and that's definitely thing that he's been working on a lot more is putting touch on his passes and, um, not just trying to blaze the ball through underneath coverage because he figures he can just, uh, fling it through before the linebackers can get their hands up. Right. Um, so, so, you know, everything you could possibly want in a pocket passer. Um, and as you said, he's, he's quite mobile. He's one of those quarterbacks like, um, remember Travis Wilson at Utah where, mm-hmm. you know, he, he'd take off and he didn't look like he was moving that fast, but his legs are so long. You're like, Oh, he's moving at like five yards. Yeah. Stride. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. No, that's actually, that's a good compare. Cause he is, he's, he's like six foot six. Right. So, I mean, he's got, yeah, he's, he's got those. Yeah. Like, like a 92 foot stride at that height. Um, yeah. 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 The one thing I do notice about this offense, obviously, is a, a lot more rushing attempts than passing attempts. I, in fact, I think about 100 more rushing attempts uh, on the season, but a lot of that has to do with the talent in the backfield. C.J. Verdell, Travis Dye, certainly continuing the tradition of good Oregon running backs, which is just kind of something we have come to expect uh, over the last, I mean, decade or so, really. Uh, what what about Verdell? Because he's a redshirt freshman, so what is making him the go-to guy for the Ducks this year? Well, he's an excellent power back. It's yeah. simple as that. I mean, to be honest, as much as I enjoy watching the skill players on the Ducks team, the real thing that needs to be appreciated is the transformation of the offensive line, mm-hmm. um, which is really you know, the, by far the most important thing in the running game. And the run game, as you noted, is you know by far the, the, the thing that's making the Oregon offense go. Um the, the the conversion of the offense, which I've alluded to a couple times, is uh, away from the Kelly Helfrich playbook of sort of, first of all, a lot of zone read stuff, and second of all, a lot of like misdirection, you know, trying to get the defense to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and this offense, you know, part of it is bringing in the, you know, the pistol formation, uh, Jim Mastro from Nevada, who co-invented the, the pistol offense with Chris Ault. Um it, 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 which is more suitable to a halfback dive, you know, power run mm-hmm. type game. Um, I just finished my film review of Oregon's game against Washington and of the, uh, I, I charted out uh, something like, uh, I just didn't say, it, it's almost the entire, half of the entire offense is either inside zone, inside power, or off tackle power. Um, it was just pounding the rock over and over and over again. The comparison that I would make, um, if I had only 10 seconds to describe Oregon's new offense, mm-hmm. somebody would be, remember what Stanford's offense was like before they had Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love, you know, the Toby Gerhardt 2012 type Stanford yeah. offense where, mm-hmm. yeah, this run might only get four yards, but it is definitely going to get four yards. It is definitely not going to get zero yards or go backwards. And right. if this offense needs to, you know, take 13 plays to get all the way down to the end zone that's what they're going to do it's actually really funny to watch 
you know, Oregon now. Oregon right now is more like Stanford of five years ago than Stanford right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, so is it kind of in that way, I, I, I would almost kind of compare it to Alabama, in a, in, not in the sense that, you know, as, as good as Alabama, because Alabama is Alabama, but... Um, it, it you know it's almost like that kind of it's kind of seems like a pressure cooker in a way where you know they're, they're just gonna wear you down and eventually uh, you're gonna get shoved over at the line of scrimmage because you're so dang tired from having to defend those four yard runs that are definitely going to get four yards. Right, and then and then as soon as the offense sees what it wants, there's Justin Herbert to hit right. the pass on. Mm-hmm. That's. That's essentially the game plan. I mean, it is fundamentally pretty conservative, which has unnerved a lot of Oregon fans who are used to a sort of you know high flying, explosive running uh, offense. But once you sort of uh, in- internalize what the game plan is, it makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I actually think it's going to be the Washington, Washington State game. I think is going to be uh, pretty interesting in the sense that I've only done one game, game of uh, game study, uh, the, the Utah Wazoo game, mm-hmm. but. You know, I, I tell you, from watching that game, I, I'd be willing to bet quite a lot of money that the Oregon coaching staff is saying, we're just going to run it at this team all, all day long. We're trying to right. take the air out of the ball. We're trying to limit possessions. Um, and, you know, if, if they can get it so the Wazoo only has like six possessions in the game, that's going to be pretty much ideal for the Oregon coaching staff. Uh, defensively for Oregon, Jim Levitt and his Pepsi are still in Eugene. I think much to uh, the encouragement and uh, happiness of all Oregon Duck fans. I know uh, him staying put in Oregon, um, or at Oregon rather, uh, was pretty important. Troy Dye, uh, a name I think everybody's very familiar with. Justin Hollins uh, as well at linebacker. In fact, he's got uh, nine tackles for a loss, including I think a team high four sacks. Uh, on the season, uh, how is this defense performing so far this year? Because you know, I, I, I think everybody, you know, we in the past we've always talked about the Oregon offense. It's never been about the Oregon defense, but obviously both sides of the ball need to be pretty good for this team to be in the top fifteen. You know, it's interesting if you look at either raw stats or advanced stats, they come out grading Oregon's defense really badly, um, yeah. which is strange to say because having done this, you know, extensive film study of Oregon, I, it does not seem that way, and I, and I don't hesitate to criticize, you know, you can say I'm a homer if you wish, but I, I don't hesitate to criticize Oregon's defense where I see structural flaws. Um, in particular, I think one of the big problems is their cornerbacks are, are not particularly good at defending the sideline and go route, um, which I'm really going to be interested to see if Minshew can take advantage of this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the thing to understand about Oregon defense is that it's extraordinarily disruptive. They are living in the backfield quite a bit. Um, and the, the and then the question mark is, are they able to translate that disruption into actual havoc, right. sacks or forcing interceptions or whatever? Because it's actually been you know frustrating as an Oregon fan to watch the last two games against Cal and uh, Washington, where I don't think anybody was expecting going into this year for those two quarterbacks. Everybody's expecting to be Ross Bowers and Cal um, to be these you know super mobile guys who would scramble out of the way out, out, out of the clutches of a defense that made it in the backfield. I think everybody sort of figured that if you could get into the backfield, then that's it. The down was over. But mm-hmm. Oregon has sort of surprisingly they'll get into the backfield and then they won't be able to get their hands on the quarterback. They'll scramble off or, you know, get some dump off pass or whatever. And I think that's what is translating into a lot of the, you know, the poor stats. And yet film watchers look at them and say like, these guys are great. They're caught, they're partying in the backfield. Um, so I guess we'll have to see. I, I was very impressed with Minshew's ability to, you know, do exactly that, you know, escape pressure on the pocket, right. um, in the Utah game that I studied, uh, he's you know quite remarkable at keeping his eyes downfield and, and, and finding open guys. Um, uh, on the other hand, I, I, I guess I'm curious about your take on this. What do you think about Wazoo's offensive line? It felt like they were giving up a lot of pressure against Utah. I, well, yeah, and I mean, I think Utah's defensive line is probably the best they were going to see all year. And, you know, I they've certainly improved quite shockingly uh, for me since last season because uh, you lose three stars on that offensive line and then somehow – you get a little better. That is surprising to say the least. I think Gardner Minshew's mobility has um, some to do with it. Uh, Tyler Holinsky could move around a little bit when he did play last year. And Luke Falk 
Also, uh, not a very good, not what we would call a mobile quarterback. He certainly had his feet pretty firmly planted in concrete. So I, I think for me, that's that's the interesting matchup up, up front for me because you, you talked about Oregon obviously wanting to limit offensive possessions, which I think is what Utah uh, wanted to do against Wazoo as well. And part of the way they do that is probably getting some pressure on the quarterback and dragging Gardner Minshew down. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's obviously an, an emphasis of every defense, but given... Uh, given Oregon's somewhat spotty secondary, I think that's going to be, you know, a huge emphasis. I mean, as you know, the, uh, the you cannot exactly just import wholesale somebody's past defense performance against other teams in right. defending the air. Right? It's, mm-hmm. you know, not a traditional passing offense in that sense. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually pretty encouraged by how well the Oregon uh, defense does underneath coverage, you know, zone stuff with the linebackers and so forth. Um in fact, if you go back and watch the Oregon Wazoo film from last year, obviously Oregon's injured offense was kept sputtering, kept the defense you know on the field longer than it needed to be. But I actually thought the defense did a pretty good job doing those like handoff responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so I, I sort of think that it, if I had to guess what this game is going to look like, it'll be you know a battle there for the underneath stuff, and then. Uh, Oregon attempting to cover up its problems in the deep field passing game mm-hmm. with uh, a really strenuous pass rush. If there's one thing about Washington State that worries you, be it on offense, be it on defense, is there any like one thing that kind of stands out to you that you look at Washington State and then you look at Oregon and go, wow, that's something that Washington State might be able to really take advantage of on Saturday in Pullman? Uh, if Minshew is able to hit deep passes despite the pass rush or if just the pass rush is not getting home and gives them enough time for those routes to develop. That would be the number one thing that concerns me. The Mm -hmm. the Oregon's cornerbacks um, are actually pretty decent at about eight out of the nine things that you would ask a cornerback to do, but the one thing they can't, and I mean, I've spent a year and a half writing about this, is they can't cover the sideline go route. You know, they just run straight down the sideline as fast as you can. Um, and if you've got a quarterback who can drop it in that bucket, you know, and has enough time to set up in order to do that, um, just good night. I mean, it, it'll be a one-yard, or excuse me, a one-play touchdown drive, and that will obviously defeat Oregon's, you know, take the air out of the ball strategy. Yeah. Uh, give me a prediction for Saturday. I think this is this is a great matchup between, and again, this is, you know, the winner of this game pretty much controls their own destiny uh, in the Pac-12 North, uh, Washington is sitting on a loss to Oregon, and that will help the Ducks out. Washington State could be sitting on a win over Oregon. That will help them out. And I think Stanford's probably not going to continue to be, uh, you know, they, they're certainly struggling this year. So give me an idea of how you think this game turns out on Saturday. Uh, I think that Minshew will definitely get his. Uh, I think that uh, Wazoo will probably score on half or more of its possessions Mm -hmm. and therefore it'll be a relatively high scoring game but I think that Oregon will probably be successful at uh you know take the air to the ball strategy um I uh, I think that from what I've seen so far and again I've only done one game's worth of film study from what I've seen so far I think that Oregon is going to have success on the ground and you know trying to control that time possession Mm -hmm. and so I'm gonna say Ducks 31, Cougs 24. That sounds like a competitive, fun game that will leave me wanting a lot of beer afterwards. Eithel Day uh, from well, Addicted... Well. Well, yeah, yeah, no, I think everybody's going to want to drink. Eithel Day from Addicted to Quag joining us. The International Man... I'm just going to call you the International Man of Mystery from now on. Austin Powers. We'll roll with that. Does that sound good? Very well. Yeah, good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
Dunderhead of the Week Time. And this one goes out to the Mirage Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. We had made a sports bet there uh, on Sunday, our trip to Las Vegas. Uh, and late at night, uh, as you know, the sports book closes. So when you need to cash your ticket after the sports book is closed, you need to take that to the cashier cage in the casino. Uh, at the Mirage, they only have one position where, you know, one of the cashiers available to do that. And while my wife and I waited to cash our very, very valuable tickets, $20, a woman in front of us had some issue with her casino chips or something. I don't know what the hell the problem was. Here's the important thing. I stood at the casino cage for over 10 minutes behind this person as she was getting this issue resolved, whatever it was, before I finally gave up and left. Now granted, I went back the next day because I am getting my money, gosh darn it. However, if there is only one person who can do the thing that, you know, people might want them to do in terms of cashing sports tickets and winning tickets. Thank you, Chiefs, for covering. Maybe have someone else help this woman with her problem. Because I kid you not, as I stood behind her waiting patiently for over, I think patiently for 10 or so minutes, and maybe I'm exaggerating because it was just so infuriating, Every other person in the cashier cage at the casino tried to wave me over, but they can't take the tickets at their station, and people behind me were waiting, and whatever else. And the woman just stood there oblivious to it all. Didn't turn around once, didn't do anything. Even as the supervisor directly, you know, like, in front of her, inside the casino cage, inside the cashier cage, motioned to me to ask me again what the problem was and then when another supervisor came out and was typing on the computer and then somebody picked up a phone I just gave up but here's the point have somebody else deal with it have someone else deal with it literally anybody else could have dealt with it okay pain in the ass that is probably a little too much for Dunderhead of the Week but I, I don't I don't like waiting at 11.40 at night when I could also be going and getting a cold beer. And because I forgot to get a cold beer before I went and did that, and I'm stubborn as a mule. This is a very long Dunderhead of the Week, and it probably didn't deserve it, but I don't care. I'm keeping it in the show because I'm real, dang it. I am real. I'm a real boy. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. At Coogs. Zukug, sleep or all-nighter before game day. I am going to try to get a little sleep, although I have a feeling that is not going to happen. My wife can sleep through anything, and she can, like, go to sleep like that. It is so frustrating. <laughs> she can sleep, like, anywhere, and she can any amount of sleep is good for her. She's, like, ready and raring to go, and she's peppy as heck. I, I, just, I wish I had that. At Jeff Leeper, or excuse me, at JLeap19, Jeff Leeper, game day schedule strategy, also over under on pieces of furniture set in place. I'll go with 15 if they win. Uh, and then schedule strategy, like I said, I'm, I'm waking up at 4.45 and then walking up from our hotel, which I luckily booked many moons ago. Uh, at Aram Gomez, I'm sorry if I'm saying that first name wrong. Uh, should I shave my goatee off? Hasn't been shaved in nine years and leave the mustache and soul patch for the game. Uh, yes. At, at, yes. Please, God, do that. I, I would love that. At WSU Brady 27 Brady, Sea of Coog flags is all but a requirement. I'm sure there will be some white flags with a Crimson Cougar logo on it. Is it acceptable to also bring a no white flags team from Team Gleason? I would be absolutely. Please do that. That would be wonderful. I would love to see one of those in the crowd. That'd be that'd be awesome to see. And I think I think the Gleasons would appreciate it as well. I, obviously, I don't know them, but I just I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, at Nick Beatty seventy two, Nick Beatty, are you going to see the WSU men play SU and Kent on November fourteenth? In fact, I am. In fact, I am going to go to that game. 
and I, I have no idea what to expect from this year's team. We'll talk about the basketball team uh, once the season starts, but uh, 12th in the Pac-12, and it wasn't even close. Probably. Yeah. At Northwest Coast Bias, can we all get to our seats before the opening and second half kicks, please? Opening, hopefully. There was that, was that problem with the ticket scanners for homecoming, so I didn't, that wasn't helping. Uh, but uh, half, second half, no, no guarantee there. Uh, at Fraternal Cloud, Jesse, why can't anyone figure out who Popcorn Guy is? I think we, ha I think some circles have figured it out. Like I I'm pretty sure there are people within Coogdom who know who Popcorn Guy is. But I, I kind of take the same view as our own Brian Anderson has and others have. I kind of like the myth. I like not knowing. I, I just, I don't know. I just, it's something better about it. About not knowing who he is. That's kind of cool. At Jeff O'Neill, Jeff O'Neill, please do a PSA, PSA reminder to not do a F the Huskies chant. I agree with that. Let's just not. Please don't do that. Let's not make it about anybody else because we're, we're too cool. We're not too cool, but we're not very cool. I'm not very cool, that is. But yeah, none of that crap. At the last Zoom, NC-17 Lentils, where will the Bush Light Champagne bottles be opened? Uh, my hotel room. That is where they will be opened. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, at JT Wigan, Jeff Wigan, what's your guess for how many people will attend game day? Uh, oh boy. Probably a ton. Thousands? Easily? Yeah. Eh, well, I'll say about 12,000. Probably about 12,000. At West Coast Bias 11, Nate Kelly, who are your top three picks for the game day celebrity picker? Uh, Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson, and Clay Thompson. Yeah. Fraternal Cloud with another question. Do you think LeVar Ball would make a good guest picker? He's a Wazoo alum. Uh, oh boy. Some things thrown at him. Yeah. No, that would be bad. No, I do not care for LeVar Ball much at all. No, no bad idea. Washington State 31, Oregon 28. Let's do it. I'll see you guys in Pullman on Saturday.